It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. John, we got an hour of conversation. We got a ton of topics on the table. And boy, there are some hot bullet points that we're going to discuss. How are you? I'm doing okay. I mean, the, it's hot out there. I think I'm getting ready to turn the page on baseball. It's hot and heavy with all this conference realignment, so there's a lot to talk about. Before we get started, for the people joining us on the live stream who've never sampled what we do with Bonus Monday and the regular podcast on Thursday, explain to them how we open the doors at the end of this podcast this afternoon for what we call Fans Forum. Well, you can get involved in Fans Forum. All you have to do is you know, drop your take, your question, your comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. If you have a question or comment for Hacksaw, that's how we can get you involved. And we'll go into the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And a reminder, if you like sports, you need to sample my website. It's LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You get the best 15 minutes in sports radio. You get Hacksaw's headlines. You get my one man's opinion column. And you get the chance to take part in Hacksaw's mini poll. Sample the website anytime during the day. By the time you wake up in the morning, they're all fresh pages. You like baseball. We cover it. You want to know what's going on around the NFL. You need to check that out. We got hoops. We got hockey puck. We got soccer. You name it. I write about it, inviting you to read it. And by the way, if you like what we're doing, give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating. We're glad to have you along. Before we start the Monday bonus podcast, our podcast is brought to you every day by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, enjoy it. You're doing projects. There's nine Dixie Line locations here in San Diego County. John, where do you want to start? Okay. I think maybe that uh, Dixie Line tagline, fix it, build it, enjoy it, does it apply to the Padres? I mean, I'm not sure here. This has been an absolutely rough weekend. Oh, that's a mean headline that you posted there. (laughs) Have you lost confidence in the Padres? I don't think they've lost confidence in the Dodgers. Uh, This is just really hard to believe, and I guess I'm tired of talking about it. I think the fans are probably tired of hearing about it, and I know the players don't have any answers for it in the clubhouse. Please explain to me how you lose two of three to an Arizona Diamondbacks team that had lost nine in a row and had lost 27 of 32, and you lost two of three, much like you lost to the Royals, to the Pirates, to the Nationals, in what's just been a recycled story on a week-by-week basis. Padres get the first-place Orioles. That's hard to believe. First-place Orioles with, what, 73 wins, best record in the American League. Padres stumble into this thing having lost six of seven. I mean, there's all kinds of appalling statistics that we talk about. The Padres are 34 and 39 against teams that were 500 or worse when they played. 39 losses to, quote, substandard teams. And, of course, we have the extra inning number. Padres are 0 and 10 with extra inning games, 6 and 19 in one run games, 2 and 49 in games in which they trail in the eighth inning been shut out 10 times. And if that's not enough bad statistics, the guys that came here at the trade deadline, 
Troy Cooper combined two for 31. <laughs> and then you add into it Rich Hill, ERA, just under 13. Scott Barlow, ERA, just under 12. And the MIA report, Matt Carpenter has not played in a game since July 24th. Of course, he was two for 22 when they sat him down, and they owe him $12 million for the rest of this season and into next year. And I'll I'll raise this question. We have a manager that continues, I think, to make in-game mistakes. I mean, the... Overuse of Nick Martinez. There's a wear and tear factor there. He's starting to give up home runs. His his heart is there. I don't think his head and his body is there for Martinez. When do they use not use the closer Josh Hader? And can please somebody explain to me when you're desperately in need of wins, and the kid catcher Luis Camposano has a couple of four hit games. Why he's not in the lineup the next day, whether yeah. it's behind the plate or whether it's the DH. Why is he not playing when these games are so critical? So I've thrown a lot in your direction as it relates to the Padres. So give me your response. This was a horrible series in Arizona. And, you know, we were thinking, okay, this is an opportunity to sweep. At minimum, win two out of three. They ended up losing uh, two out of three, falling further back. And even on Sunday, they faced a pitcher who had an 0-6 record and an ERA over seven. They got three runs in the first, and then they put up goose eggs. This is just... It's like I'm taking a knife and cutting myself. It's so bad. It's so torturous to watch this team. And yet, it's like a train wreck. I'm addicted to watching it every time. And I still have this glimmer of hope that maybe they can play up to their potential, but there's no time left. It's the most amazing thing to me. You know, our dollar just doesn't go the way it used to go. I mean, to buy gas, oh, yeah. the dollar just doesn't stretch the way it used to buy groceries. Mm. That 253 million payroll sure isn't stretching <laughs> very far. How could a franchise with these kind of name stars, that kind of payroll, be so pathetic on a consistent basis against substandard teams? I, it just it just blows my mind. And the manager, we're sure giving him a lot of rope. He sure seems about ready to hang himself. I mean, can you explain to me the use misuse of Campusano? Well, maybe your speculation is right. Maybe A.J. Preller and his analytics guys are telling Melvin what to do because there's something going on behind the curtain that we don't understand. You know, I don't know if it's chemistry in the clubhouse, if it's the relationships with the front office, but it it just defies logic what's happening with this team. Okay. So from that, the other question as it relates to the Dodger logo, nobody's lost confidence. I think this kind of surprises people. Dodger Blue has won 12 of its last 13. Dodgers are 71 and 46, John. And a chunk of this is without Kershaw and without Julio Urias being what he used to be and with a bad bullpen for about a 30-day period and no shortstop and a bunch of guys in massive slumps, not named Freeman and Mookie Betts, have carried this thing. I mean, the Dodgers, could you have ever imagined the Dodgers would have a 15-and-a-half game lead over Ugh. the Padres in the standings? Yeah, no way. I mean, we figured this would be a competitive year for the two teams. They'd be neck-and-neck, neck, but not 15-and-a-half. So, and we got 40-plus games to go in the season. We got half of August. We've got what's left of September into the first week of October. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's mind-boggling to me 
to the point I want to say, gee, I can't watch this anymore because I can't tolerate this anymore because it never changes. And I don't want to hear any more rhetoric from the Padre Clubhouse about read the back of my baseball card. Well, <laughs> damn it, we are. Look what the back of the baseball card is going to say about this Padre team if you don't get to postseason like you did a couple of years ago when you choked the thing away. So, boy, it just it's not right. And I don't know if it's bad chemistry, bad baseball decisions, whether it's interference. It's not right. Hey. You're a Padre fan. Jump on Fans Forum and just express an opinion on our live stream broadcast. Hey, Hex, I have one Dodger question for you. Do it. Okay. What's your take on Seth Lugo complaining that the Dodgers were stealing his signs or stealing pitches? Last I checked, stealing bases is allowed. Therefore, I think stealing signs is allowed. Now, using video electronics to steal signs, a.k.a. what the Red Sox and the Astros did, that's against the law. Mm -hmm. But if you're not smart enough to hold the ball in the glove while you make the adjustment before the pitch, if your catcher's not smart enough how to shield the signals he's giving or use pitch comm, then it's on you if you're getting sign stealing. I understand pitchers can tip off pitches. You know, and everybody does video. So everybody knows when a pitcher is in the set position, they can determine whether or not he changes the set position if it's fastball or if it's four seamer or if it's slider or if it's curveball. Some guys tip that off. Other guys, same same mechanics. But that's why you study video. But now I, I thought Lugo's gripe was a little bit far-fetched. I think stealing signs is part of stealing bases and so be it. Yeah, it's the gamesmanship, but it just goes to show you how the Dodgers are able to play the game at a different level than the Padres. And the Padres end up whining and complaining, and, and, and this we, we remain stuck in this abyss. And now they play Baltimore. I mean, are we going to get teased again? They're going to win against Baltimore and then go back in the tank? I'm This whole thing, I mean, it drives people to drink. It's so bad. Should the Dodgers put up a video, Chavez Ravine scoreboard, that shows Padre logo with tears? Yeah. <laughs> A.K.A. in response to what the Padres did early in the season when they did get that one victory against Clayton Kershaw? Oh. Well, they pl- they played Viva Las Vegas when yeah. the A's were in Do- at Chavez Ravine. So who knows? But the Dodger fans like to think they're kind of above it all. But they're, they're ready to zing you anytime. Dodger fans on social media are brutal and, frankly, They've got a right to be brutal. 15-and-a-half game lead over the swing and miss Friars. Hard to believe. Okay, let's go from baseball. Let's talk NFL football. NFL football, the Chargers-Rams. They kicked it off the preseason. What yeah. do you think, Hacksaw? Really impressive Charger performance against a bunch of Rams street free agents. Of course, nobody really played any of their established veterans. Uh, but just off the top of my head in terms of the headlines, The kid quarterbacks played really well. Easton Stick has been a third-string quarterback uh, for the Bolts since he got here from North Dakota State. Has an intellect, uh, obviously good athlete, moved the pocket, strong-arm guy. I thought he played really well. Wound up throwing for 109 yards in the Charger victory. Uh, Only got him one touchdown drive going, but... He was there, and he made all the plays, and he didn't panic in the face of blitzes and and things of that nature. I was really impressed with Stetson Bennett, the rookie quarterback of the Rams, the kid from Georgia, uh, who's won back-to-back national championships. And he wasn't drafted really early, but boy, he stepped into the pocket, and he got banged around early. He didn't throw well the first possession or two, and then bingo. 
I went up going 17 for 29 for 193 scoring drives. Wow. Made a lot of plays along the way. So I was I was just tremendously impressed. He was accurate. He was composed, much like Easton Stick was. So there's something there to say, hey, these two guys' first games out of the gate, that was pretty decent. Uh, this running back is another guy that they found undrafted. I mean, he was kind of impressive. His name is Elijah Dotson. He's a free agent court, uh, running back from northern Colorado, like Austin Eckler came from Mesa State, mm-hmm. Colorado. And he busted off runs of 37 and 40 yards on back-to-back possessions. And he did it with an extra gear and speed. Way he bounced off people, kick it outside, and next thing you know, boom, he's gone. And they couldn't catch him. I was pretty impressed. Now, that's against Rams free agents that will be probably working at a fast food service store in two weeks or cutting your lawn or whatever. But he excelled at the level he excelled at. Keelan Doss, ex-Raider receivers, kind of bounced around the league, kind of a route runner. Three catches, 39 yards, a couple of really tough catches, didn't drop the ball. I thought that was cool. Number one draft pick, Quinton Johnston. Uh, Touchdown pass on a mismatch down on the goal line. Did drop two passes, which he's dropped passes in practice. And that was the wrap on him, despite all the big plays he made at TCU, was the ball came off his hand a bunch, and it did in the first game. That's uh, that's probably a, a concentration thing. That's a mechanic thing as terms of ball control. He's, he's going through a, a real big learning curve because they're dumping a lot of the playbook stuff on him. And he's going through a learning curve that, that's a pretty fast corner, or that's a big, hefty safety. It's going to hit you if you get near the ball. So he's learning. I, I would say first performance with the number one pick was decent. The first performance with a kick return kid out of TCU, that is Darius Davis, and that's 4.29 speed. Wow. Going 81 yards in a punt return, and that was patience returning it, finding a seam, cutting back against the grain, and gone. 81-yard punt return for a score, and he also uh, caught a pass or two in traffic. So all in all, for the kids, I thought the most of them played well. Defense didn't stop the run. Defense was on the field for 17 plays. The Rams had in one drive when Stetson Bennett just kept pushing it down the field. So defense is, is work in progress, but it was a win. You know, the thing they got, about, got out of it without anybody uh, getting hurt. So I, I think that was that was pretty impressive. Reaction... Yeah, I watched parts of the game and it was exciting. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of scoring in the game, and um, it was. I mean, I knew the Chargers were going to win, but it was surprising how much that the Rams were kind of you know in it to a degree. But it's so hard to evaluate these preseason games. You don't know who's going to be on the team, and you're starting second and third string guys. But I just get a kick out of this kid Easton Stick. I mean, it seems like his parents thought he was going to be a baseball player, and he ends up being a quarterback. So, Well, he was a great college quarterback at North Dakota State, and he's a real smart dude. And he's kind of served on the developmental squad two years in a row, which meant he's in all the meetings. He's taken all the scout team snaps. So, I mean, he's invested mentally in what is becoming NFL playbooks, and they've worked on those mechanics, and he looked he looked good. Now, we'll see what happens weekend two. Uh, he'll probably play again because I don't think Justin Herbert's going to play any of the exhibition schedule. Okay, mm-hmm. so we go from that 
to news and notes around the NFL. And boy, there are a lot of late breaking yeah. stories. I mean, you were you were telling me update the the graphics like thirty minutes ago, so we we squeezed them all in. Okay, let's start with New England. Uh, they got smoked by the Houston Texans in their first game, although there were segments of the Patriot game that were pretty decent. New England went and got a running back a half hour before our podcast started. They signed Ezekiel Elliott, the oh, wow. ex-Dallas Cowboy. Zeke's taken a pay cut. One year, base pay $4 million. Total money, if he has a Zeke Elliott season, could be upwards of $8 mil. But that's a far cry from $10.8 million. So Ezekiel Elliott, who many thought was going back to Dallas at the last minute, and Dallas did not do the deal because the Cowboys elected to restructure the contracts of one of their top offensive linemen. They gave Zeke's money to Zach Martin, the guard. So Zeke is going to New England, and he will be the heavy-duty guy. My heart says, you know, this is, this is a Belichick acquisition of veteran player, power, physical running back, and if he can run the ball behind that line, that's going to make Mac Jones, the quarterback, much more dangerous. You know, and New England has had star running backs in the twilight of their career, like a Zeke Elliott, and have had young running backs as role players like a James White. So this could be a good acquisition. This guy could have an integral part in what they hope would be a more complete balanced offense uh, to help Mac Jones and the new coordinator, Bill O'Brien. So that, that came down just a half hour before we started. Green Bay Packers, uh, they gave the keys to the Mercedes, to J.D. Love. Uh, and I will, I will tell you, Jordan Love did a good job in his first NFL preseason start with everything on him. He's got, he's got no veteran receivers. He's got all kids, including, I think, a really gifted young receiver from Wyoming, Romeo Dubs, or maybe he's from Nevada, Reno. I think he's Nevada. Anyhow, Love goes 7 for 10, 75 yards. Then they give way to a rookie from Penn State, Sean Clifford. He throws a pick six right out of the gate and say, oh, <laughs> welcome to the NFL, pal. He winds up throwing for 209 and a couple of touchdowns. Sean Clifford played really well after the shaky start. I think Green Bay's kind of pleased with where they are quarterbacks. New Orleans, all the quarterbacks on the roster got to play. Uh, Derek Carr came out of the gates firing. Jake Hayner, the Fresno State kid. He had 105 yards passing in a quarter and a half, mm-hmm. replacing Derek Carr. I mean, he's an interesting story. He's tough. He's got a little mobility. He's only 5'10", but he is bold, and he's not afraid to put the ball down the field. Jake Hayner was pretty impressive for the Saints. And then Jameis Winston, who's still there as the backup, um, he wound up throwing for 92 yards, I think. Uh, the Saints wound up throwing for 267. They got running back problems. That's going to be an issue. They got to solve the the hole at running back with the Alvin Kamara suspension to start the season. But they hit the floor running. They were pleased. Raiders, boy, did they kick the daylights out of the 49ers. <laughs> um, San Fran did not have a good game. Aiden O'Connell, draft pick Purdue, played the whole first half of that game. For the Raiders, wound up throwing for 141 yards and a touchdown. He just kind of torched the Niners. Niners went up and down the field but never got the thing into the end zone. So the Raiders, at least for one weekend, feeling good about themselves. Browns, this is this is an interesting story. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who came off the bench in the Hall of Fame game and played really well against the Jets, led the Browns to the victory, starts this weekend. And DTR, the ex-UCLA star, throws for 102 and another touchdown. And he's playing himself onto this roster as maybe the third quarterback after Deshaun Watson and, and the other backup that they've got. So he's been pretty impressive. 
The Colts, I watched closely because I wanted to see what Anthony Richardson was going to do. And he's big, and he's physical, and he plays fast. But so do the other guys across the line of scrimmage. Mm. And I think the message is, pal, you're not a Florida Gator anymore, and that's not Southern Mississippi across the line of scrimmage. He really had problems with speed, problems with defenses, problems with the blitz. He was inaccurate. He was throwing it everywhere but where it was supposed to go. Mm. And I I stepped back and I said to myself, "And this kid's got great upside and you're just going to need some patience in Indianapolis for him. I said, AR-15, why are you throwing the football there? Why are you throwing the football at all? And uh, it would be unfair to say he was panic-stricken, but he just looked so jumpy with the speed of the game. So, I mean, he'll be their starter the rest of the preseason, but I, th- I just think it's going to be a slow growth process. Chicago, Justin Fields, uh, that, that was the Ohio State quarterback, and he sh- showed great numbers the first half of last season, ran the ball way too much because he had no receivers and was in trouble all the time and then finally got hurt. So they went out and they got him, the top wide receiver from Carolina, D.J. Moore. And D.J. Moore catches a touchdown pass the first time he goes down the field. So Justin Fields threw 56 and 62-yard touchdown passes in the first quarter. Wow. And the Bears wound up winning their game. So he looks very different because they've upgraded some of the people around him. And the Jaguars, you know, we, we saw them really grow as a team. This was kind of surprising. Jaguars beat the Cowboys, which is that's really surprising. And it wasn't so much Trevor Lawrence. He, he did well in the first quarter that he played. Jaguars have this young quarterback they brought in from the Canadian Football League. His name is Nathan Rourke. Played one year with the BC Lions and set all these records for a rookie in the league. I had three for 3,300 yards, 25 touchdowns, and got hurt right at the end and wound up missing the playoffs. Anyhow, he was an opt-out contract. He comes, and he comes off the bench and throws for 153 Two touchdowns led them on three scoring drives against the Dallas Cowboys. The stage was not too big for this kid. And maybe that's got to do with he played so much live fire, uh, fast-paced football in Canada. Uh, And a side note, I don't do this very often, (laughs) Nathan Rourke, my alma mater. Hey. Ohio Bobcat. So he really impressed a lot of people because he was doing it against the Dallas Cowboys. So those those are news and notes headlines around the NFL. Your response to Zeke going to Foxborough and whatever else you want to talk about. Well, so, yeah, Zeke going to Foxborough is kind of expected. Belichick does that a lot, getting those mm-hmm. veterans, whether it was Seau and Rodney Harrison or, you know, there's been a bunch of guys that have, that have gone over there and had success in the tail end of their career. But I, I love seeing all these new kids, you know, and I saw some of Jake Hayner in the game and, and boy, he looked tiny out there, but he was making it happen and he was making things go. It's just interesting to me in every sport how when you go up a level, in this case from Division One college football to the NFL, how the game is faster, more physical, everyone's bigger. And these young kids, some have the mental ability to adjust and go to that next level and others get overwhelmed. And we see that in every sport. But, you know, it's going to take these NFL quarterbacks, these young kids, probably into the season until they can kind of relax a bit. On we go. Uh, we got one other topic here before we get to halftime. Boys, a lot of stories off the field that aren't very good. Yeah, so here, here we go. So this is kind of a, 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 a bunch of sports, a bunch of names, people in the news. Uh, this, this is a really sad story. We do remember uh, the movie The Blind Side. 
Oh, yeah. The, the life and times of Michael Orr, who number one draft pick Baltimore Ravens, had a pretty good nine-year career before it was ended by concussions. And the fact that he came from a terribly broken home and was adopted by a family in Memphis and became a star at Mississippi and wound up being a number one draft pick. He has filed a lawsuit against the family that raised him when they took him in at age 18 rather than let him live on the streets. And he became a football star. Uh, He's filed a lawsuit against the Tui family. Uh, If you've never seen the movie Blindside, you should see it because most of it is, is fairly true. But Michael Orr has filed a lawsuit, has charged that the family, when he was 18 years of age, asked him to sign papers for a conservatorship, not an adoption. He had had no real family, and there was talk they would adopt him and then raise him as guardians. Instead, he was recommended by a lawyer to sign the conservatorship. In essence, he turned over his potential marketing rights to the Tui family. This is what they allege in the lawsuit. Then he finds out that the lawyer who, quote, was representing him was close friends to the Tui family. So there was some type of conflict there. On top of that, they say by virtue of the way this thing was worded, he was an 18-year-old kid that didn't really know what he was signing. He just took the advice of, quote, that woman lawyer. Um, Now they find out that the family has gotten $300 million in royalties off the book and off the movie The Blind Side. Whoa. And he's gotten nothing. No way. Not one penny. So they have filed the papers today in Memphis. It's going to be a messy lawsuit. His relationship with that family that took him in for a year and a half seems to have just evaporated. It's pretty nasty. He made a lot of money in the NFL. He was a really fine player until he got hurt. Uh, But now it's – so we're going to have to wait and see where this thing goes. Second story. Boy, am I tired of this. Tired of James Harden. Tired of Kyrie Irving. Tired of the whole – atmosphere of the NBA where the players are dictating anything and everything to general managers, to teams, and even to the commissioner, Adam Silver. Now James Harden goes public in Philadelphia and tells the 76ers, I am not coming to camp. I will never wear your uniform again. And he called the the general manager a liar, Daryl Morey. Maury was a general manager when James Harden was in Houston, and they had a good relationship. And then Maury took over the 76ers. And the genesis of all this is Harden met with the Sixers at the end of the season and said, I want to be traded. I'll do this. I'll, I'll pick up the final year of my contract at 36 mil. I'll opt in for the final year to help you make a trade to get me somewhere else. That somewhere else was the LA Clippers. And then he finds out that Maury, the general manager, is asking for four for one or five for one from the Clippers. That's why the deal has not gotten done. And then Maury says, I am not trading the player. And now now he says, you lied to me because you said if I, if I opted into the low-budget contract, you'd make this deal. So this is really nasty, and he just he demeaned Daryl Maury, and he says, I'm not, I'm not coming to camp. So this is really an ugly, ugly story. And the last one is, this is troubling. We don't know everything in Tampa yet. Wander Franco, their star young shortstop, 300 hitter, 22 home runs, has been removed from the roster. Major League Baseball is doing an investigation about social media comments. We don't know whether it was from him or whether it came from somebody else in a family about an alleged relationship with a minor. This is pretty nasty stuff. 
And it brought to mind a couple of years ago, the Pittsburgh Pirates had a, a really great closer from the Caribbean. Came out of nowhere. And he wound up getting arrested for having sex with a girl that was 14 and 15. And he is in prison. He's like 20 to 30 years in prison. So I don't know what is fact, what is fiction. But, you know, Tampa started the season 20 and 3, and they played sub-500 since then. They've had seven pitchers. Virtually all their pitchers have been on the injured list. All types of forearm, shoulder, elbow problems. Tampa right now does not look like it's a team that's going to be ready for postseason. And if if they connect the dots on the story and some of the stuff is true, you know, he might not play the rest of the year. It'd be a terrible, terrible blow. But, you know, people make bad decisions and people are uneducated. And I don't know how you get yourself into this type of thing because you had to be aware of what happened to the Pirates reliever and what's happened to other guys along the way. Terrible story. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, and, and it's a, such a failure of personal morality. You know, it's, and I'm going to go back to the the Michael Orr story because it's re- amazing that he gets nothing from the book and the movie Blindside. Did not know. I mean, the whole thing was based on his life. I exactly. mean, I mean, if anybody's entitled to it. But so you, here you see that, was it the Tui family? Is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah. I remember seeing the movie. That was like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. It was a ago. great movie. Oh, it was amazing. Great story. Uplifting. And, you know, they, they kind of, you know, made it seem like the family was rescuing this kid out of a tough situation, poverty, bad family life. But the kid ended up getting screwed over. And it's just so frustrating. And gosh, I mean, every podcast, Lee, we, we talk about... Some of the things that are going on between the lines, but so much is going on outside the lines that, I mean, it's incredible what some of these athletes are, the messes they're getting into, in some cases self-inflicted like Wander Franco, and other cases they're just victims of bad people. Well, we don't know the depths of what happened. We're not you know, Just because they're alleging it does not mean it actually happened that way. But this is going to lawsuit, and it's it's a terribly sad story, and he was offended Right in the beginning when the movie came out, because he was portrayed in the movie, and I interviewed the actor that played Michael Orr in the movie. He was portrayed in the movie as being uneducated and stupid. Mm. And he says, that's not me. Yes, he he went to 11 different schools because he kept getting moved from foster home to foster home. And Mm. he had no father and his mother had a drug addiction, had 11 kids, and they were scattered everywhere. Um, But at the end of the day... You know, he's indicated that I was asked to sign this document. I was an 18-year-old. I had no knowledge. I trusted the lawyer. I found out who the lawyer was later. And I find out the wealth that was generated by the book that the Tuies or the ones that created, and then by the movie that they were part of. Um, he says, and I'm not getting any of that access. And the, the bottom line in the, in the lawyer's statement was there would be no blindside were it not for Michael Orr. Yeah. So I'll be intrigued to see when this goes to trial, if this goes to trial. Hey, we get to halftime, our Monday bonus podcast. Hope you're enjoying what we're doing. A reminder, our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. Get summer project savings at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Power tools, paint, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, and more. Check out the great monthly ad promotions. Go to their website, DixieLine.com. Nine different service centers here in San Diego to serve you. Like we say, Dixie Line. Fix it. Build it. Enjoy it. 
And John, before we go to the second half, our Monday bonus podcast, refresh everybody's memory about what we're making available to all those on live stream right now of the Fans Forum right at the end. And a reminder about how they can subscribe to all the unique things we do every day of the week on our YouTube channel and all the other platforms. Yeah, so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the audio only feed of this. But, you know. Lee's on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and threads and all the contents up there. So wherever you go on social media, look for Hacksaw, like, follow, share and subscribe. And uh, yeah, the fans forum. I mean, this list is already loading up. But here's Alejandro and Joey and Coach Dude and Octobert. Brian is in this list. John. I mean, uh, there's Beto. So there's a lot of guys that want to get involved. You can get involved, too. Just type your uh, question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And a reminder, we want you to share. Tell everybody what we're doing with the podcast, what we do during the week, and what I do on my website. You need to check the website. You're a sports fan? No excuses accepted. Sample what I write on my website. I think you'll tell me. This is bleeping brilliant. Go to the website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Second half begins, and we will talk about something that's really hot. Everybody wants to talk about what's happened in college football. Yeah, I mean, everyone seems to have an opinion on this about what should the Pac-12 do, the Mountain West. So you got some late-breaking news here, Lee? Yeah, let's talk about the Pac-4, which is all that is left, and what's transpired there as it relates to other schools. In the headlines of the Pac-4, there had been conversation about Cal and Stanford What's going to transpire? Atlantic Coast Conference held a day and a half worth of Zoom calls at the end of last week. And there were hours in which it looked like, bingo, they might be taking Cal and Stanford from the West Coast. Evidently, seven schools spoke out against doing anything out on the West Coast. Four of them voted when they had a straw poll and they needed those four. And so it's not going through those conversations have ceased. Meanwhile, speaking of the ACC, they got a fire in their backyard. Tomorrow is the deadline for Florida State to make a decision. Are you staying in this conference or are you going to leave? Seminoles over in Tallahassee have been barking for weeks. We don't like the media contract. It's substandard, etc. Because Florida State's not what it was in the Bobby Bowden era. But they have a Tuesday deadline. They have to inform hmm. whether they're going to Leave, pay the exit fee, either go be an independent. The rumor on Tobacco Road right now is if Florida State exits, the Miami Hurricanes are going to exit. And they would join hands and they would go to the SEC in Birmingham and say, we're here. We'd like to be a member. Will you expand? Now, nobody knows whether the SEC is Greg Sankey, the commissioner, is ready to do that or not. So the ACC has got a problem in the backyard here. Nothing to do at all with Cal and Stanford. You know, what's going to happen with the Pac-4? We talked extensively about ideas that were presented last week. Over the weekend on Saturday, the Pac-4 hired longtime college administrator, former NFL scout and executive to a degree, former star quarterback Oliver Luck. Oh, yeah. Oliver Luck has been hired as a consultant to help the Pac-4 rebuild their brand. This guy's done a lot of unique and really different things in his career. I mean, he's he's street smart from an athletic standpoint. He's conversant because he worked in the NCAA league office. And he's just really a sharp business guy, 
being a former West Virginia quarterback. I don't know where that leaves the commissioner, George Kliakoff, who saw this whole thing collapse under his reign. The only words I can use about George Kliakoff with them hiring Andrew Luck to come in the door and be the point man, George, good night now. <laughs> I, I think there's a big issue yeah. there. And then this morning, the new president at Oregon State University wrote a letter to the other three presidents that are still there. And he urged and preached unity. Four schools stay together. Oregon State, Washington State were banded together. Cal Stanford evidently have linked at the arms. So we got four, and the Oregon State president of the opinion, stay with us. We will work through the setbacks that we have had. So put a lot of college football stuff at your front door, pick and choose. Well, what— it's incredible how these conferences are all blowing up. I mean, this is going to get to a point where we have two conferences or just one big conference. I mean, it's amazing about Miami and Florida State maybe ejecting from the ACC. But I still have a hard time figuring Cal and Stanford would want to go to the ACC. I mean, because, you know, you would talk about football, it might make sense. But for all those other sports, yes. and Stanford has the most sports, I think, of any university in, in the nation. And they'd be sending them all the way back to, you know, Tobacco Road. I mean, that would just be silly. So, I mean, I, it just seems like they're not structuring all this logically. I mean, sure, they, they're chasing the money. I get that. They're entitled to do that. But it's creating this bizarre framework for the sport. Yeah, I think the sport's out of control. Uh, you know, last week we had the story that this is one of the most detrimental things that has happened in college football. Well, I don't know if you rank it the worst because the NIL and the transfer portal is pretty bleep and bad, too. <laughs> uh, I just don't know how they're going to solve it. You know, if I'm in Colorado Springs on a Monday night, I'm, I'm just really worried that the Pac-4 has come up with his money and go to San Diego State and go to Boise and go to Fresno and go to Colorado State and say, we will pay 50% of your exit fee to get out of the Mountain West right now. You know, because if somebody walks in the front door in Colorado Springs and says, here's the check for $34 million, I'm exiting at the end of this 24 season. They can't do anything about it that's in the bylaws. But if I'm the Mountain West, now I'm freaked out. Am I going to lose my top four schools? And what does my conference look like if the Aztecs and Boise and Fresno and CSU's Rams Defect. All of a sudden, the Mountain West kind of resembles the. Do you remember the the waning, dying days of the old Western Athletic Conference? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, I mean that was pretty messy. So you know, yeah, you could you could. There's no doubt that the Mountain West would have sixty eight million dollars new money found with the exit fees. But are you going to really improve your product if you if you go to Las Cruces and get into Mexico State? If you go across the border and get UTEP. What tradition is that? And, you know, you can conduct a raid to go to the big sky and maybe get their two best schools, Montana, Montana State. But understand that the one double A guys or the FCS, as they're now called, they don't grant 90 scholarships. One double A scholarship totals 65. Mm. So can Montana, Montana State, which have really good programs and a nice heritage in the big sky, can they fund their school to 90 scholarships? And the other other sidebar angle to this whole story is, what the hell do the New Mexico State Aggies, the UTEP Miners, Montana Grizzlies and Montana State Bobcats, what do they bring to the Mountain West? What's your conference going to look like? That's what all of a sudden looks back to me and it's like the old whack. 
That's where we are. <laughs> it's incredible because there, the loyalty is out the window. Yeah. You know? And, and Thank you, USC, UCLA. This is at your front door. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you could roll the clock back earlier. I mean, Texas A&M bolted, right? And then the Nebraska and Missouri. But, but I, I just think of, you know, it wasn't that long ago, like a week or two ago, that Utah and Arizona, Arizona State, man, we're going to stay together. We're going to keep this thing together. And then they flipped like in a couple hours. Well, when they saw the Apple TV proposal— the Klyovkov presented at the president's council, and Oregon said, no, we're not signing that. We're not signing a $20 million a year deal, which is less than we're getting now. And we're not signing a deal that says, well, if our subscriptions go up, you'll get bumped up. more." No, we're not doing that. Next thing you know, within an hour, Oregon was out, and a couple hours later, Washington was out. And by nightfall, the corner schools were out, and we're left with the Pac-4. So... It's it's a really bad situation. Speaking of the byword bad, <laughs> flip this question out for everybody. Iowa State, man, you broke the news a couple of weeks ago. It's new development, eh? Yeah, it's growing. I think the correct term I used was tip of the iceberg. Ah, uh, yeah, you did. If they're gambling at Iowa State, and there were there were inclinations that the same junk was happening at Iowa with the Hawkeyes, if it's those two, it's other places, and I'm sure we've not heard the end of the story. Four top players at Iowa State removed from the program. Quarterback, running back, defensive end, I think defensive tackle. The details as of this Monday podcast, over almost 1,900 bets, totaling $15,000 in a two-year span by Iowa State players, including bets on their games they played, bets on games in that conference, Bets on college sports here, there, and everywhere. Four have already been removed from the program. I think where there's smoke, there is fire. Mm -hmm. I hate to use that term as it relates to what just happened in Lahaina, Hawaii. Uh, Iowa's got at least four more players now that they're talking about. And all of a sudden, Kirk Ferentz is using the phrase integrity of the program. Well, I just think this this is the tip of the iceberg. And these kids have money. These kids obviously have access to place bets. These kids might be addicted to this, but 1,700 bets in a two-year span from four Iowa State players. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a lot. But if it's happening at Iowa State, it's got to be happening everywhere. You I think? Mean, to, yeah, to some degree. So then imagine if you're a kid playing at, you know, ball at some school, I pick any school at random, and they're gambling and they see this news. Do they get scared or do they change their behavior or do they think no one will ever get me you know i'm above it all because you know all these kids have gone through life being prima donnas getting everything they wanted through high school so this is amazing i think you said it's the tip of the iceberg we're gonna hear a lot more bad story speaking of money Let's talk soccer. Corner kicked me a couple of questions here. Yeah, so you're talking about the, the league getting started here. This is exciting time. Well, it's the opening of the English Premier League season this past weekend. We're headed to the semifinals of the Women's World Cup starting Tuesday at 1 a.m. and then Wednesday with the semifinals. Let's kind of run through the laundry list of hot stories. If you're a soccer fan, we talk about this all the time. Kai Mbappe who two weeks ago said no to Saudi Arabia's crazy money on a split deal with Real Madrid, then open talks with Real Madrid. This weekend, I'm led to believe Sunday, reopened talks with Paris Saint-Germain. So love me, love me not. I'm not sure where he's going to go, but all of a sudden... 
PSG is evidently laying more money on the table that they want to retain him. They have to retain him because they just lost Neymar. $99 million transfer fee, $128 million contract over two years. He's going where? Saudi Arabia. Mm. Al-Hilal. He becomes the 22nd player from other teams internationally, globally, to leave to go play Saudi Arabia. So Neymar has gone. Harry Kane, the superstar, Tottenham Hotspur, he finally signs the deal to leave. He's going to Bayern Munich, $110 million transfer, $125 million salary package. Now, I don't understand this Hotspur doing this the first week of the season, and he is gone and they got all the money, but where are you going to get players to replace the leading scorer in the English Premier League? But Harry Kane is gone. We found out this morning the Saudi Public Investment Fund that's been spraying money globally for all the sports, they own four teams in that Saudi league. That's why there have been 22 players from the English Premier League and other leagues in Europe that have gone to Saudi Arabia, and they're they're signing with the four teams that the PIF owns. It'd be like if there was a—the Saudi Public Investment Fund owned seven teams— in the American League, mm. in baseball. And they're signing all these players to place them on those teams. And there is no, quote, salary cap in Saudi Arabia, so the money rules. A couple of other notes. Matt Turner, the goalkeeper, Team USA, came from New England Revolution. He signed a week ago to play for Nottingham Forest in the EPL. Oh, right on. Made his first start and nearly beat Arsenal. They lost 2-1 to one in the first game of the season. He was making saves everywhere. So, lease on life. He was a backup who was supposed to be part of Arsenal a year ago, didn't get much chance to play, but he grew as a keeper in practice and all that. And now he gets signed by Nottingham Forest, so he played very well out of the gate. Women's World Cup, another big name gone. Japan on their way home, out. Mm -hmm. So we get to the Women's World Cup. Spain, Sweden at 1 o'clock Tuesday morning. Bring your beer, I'll bring the sub sandwiches. (laughs) Tell the wife to stay in the room, and we'll watch here in the studio. (laughs) Spain, Sweden on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, I think it's a phenomenal story. England has had all types of knee injury problems to a lot of their star scorers. England is in the semifinals. It's going to be tough. They're going to play Australia, the host team. And everybody's making a big thing about the English Lioness, that's the women's team as it's called, versus the, and I don't know where this came from, The Australia Matildas, that's their name. (laughs) So they're going to play Wednesday morning. Now, that'll be a 3 a.m. game, so I don't know if I'll make my way over to the studios to watch that with you. But uh, So we're down to the semifinals, but Japan's gone. I thought Japan was really at the inside track to win it. So I corner-kicked you a lot, make a save uh, on a penalty shot. Go ahead. Yeah, Japan was like one of the top teams in this thing, and it was kind of neat to see them compete at that level. But I, I just want to go back to the Matt Turner news because isn't it interesting how American soccer stars play in the EPL and almost every time they're keepers? You know, I mean, there's been a lot of them that have gone there. Well, Americans. Pulisic was not, but Tim but, Howard was. Yeah, Tim Howard. And there's been others. And but Pulisic went there, you know, and, and struggled. You know, he didn't really catch on. So it's just odd how that works. I, you know, just I don't understand that completely. Well, he earned the chance because he continued to play better. 
in global competition for Team USA. And he got the chance to play because of injuries to Zach Steffen and others. But he, he earned this contract. Now, understand, who's the top teams? When you look at the tables in the English Premier League, it's, oh, yeah. it's Manchester City and Erling Holland, and it's Manchester United, and it's Liverpool. It used to be Chelsea. But he's, so he's not in Ham Forest, which is at the bottom tier. Mm-hmm. He gets the chance to play. Yeah. And he gets the chance to practice every day of the week against really good EPL players. And then they're playing all the big guns in their league game. So he has a chance either to continue to grow as a keeper or for, if he gets overwhelmed, then he'll be cut loose a year from now. But he earned this chance. And, hey, hats off to him. We'll root for him. Yeah, I'm t- totally. I'm all in to support him because he was a he was a. Um, like a personality, you know, sure. during the the Men's World Cup and some of these, you know, whether they call them the CONCACAF games that are going on in North America. Um, but, you know, even Zach Steffen, I think he's an American as mm-hmm. well. And he was on Man City for a while. Um, so it's just all these American keepers. It's just interesting how that works. But I also want to comment about the transfer fee because that seems like that's unique to international soccer because we don't have anything like that in America. Well, we have free agency, but this is unique. The club selling the player gets a transfer fee from from the Saudi team, if you will, Talking about Harry Kane, and then Harry Kane gets a, a two or three, sometimes a five-year contract. But you know, this is Saudi Arabia's got the PIF fund, and they just keep writing checks, and they don't care about how it impacts the English Premier League or what's going on in Serie A in Italy, what's happened in Spain, La Liga. They don't care about the competitive balance when they're ripping all those players out. Those players have a right, mm-hmm. but to me, I'd. I, maybe I'm old school. I find it hard to believe that I could accept that money to go play in a country that treats people the way they treat their people, be it women or be it the lesbian community. And yeah. it has the politics it does. And again, it all spins back to LIV golf and blood money. So mm-hmm. I don't know. If they offered me that kind of dough, I'd have to look at it and say, <laughs> I don't know that I could do that just based on who you are writing the check. I'm, your response. Yeah. I mean, you have to have a certain moral code. Now, the, the issue, though, is, is that are the people that are employing these athletes in Saudi Arabia, are they necessarily bad guys? Or are we just using kind of an umbrella to, for the whole regime, you know, the Saudi regime? So it's, it's tricky. But, you know, money talks. People walk. Yeah. So they're going for it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's something. But, I, you know, the other actually came to me, the transfer fee thing, that works with Major League Baseball in Japan, right? It's the same thing. The posting system. Okay. For a player developed in Japan that wants to come here, if they're not an unrestricted free agent, if you're 18 years of age and you're signed to play in, in Nippon League, you can't come here, I think, till maybe you've been there five years. And then to come, the MLB team that wants to bid has to post a fee that goes to the club and then you negotiate the contract with the player mm-hmm. to bring them on, bro- on board. Now, the rules change a little bit. If you're an 18-year-old who's never signed a pro contract in Japan, you can come without a payment. Oh. It's, it's really different. Uh, or if you're a 25-year-old player who's played and your contract is up and there, there's a, a star outfielder. I think his name is June Lee, who's been hurt. He was sitting 340 when he got hurt. He'll be beyond that 25-year threshold. He walks out the door in Japan's already indicated, I will negotiate. There's no posting fee for him because he's been in the league for a period of time. Each each of the countries abroad has a different set of financials to get a player. Mexico, 
strangles their guys. You can't get players out of Mexico because the fees are so high. Japan lets them go with a posting situation. Korea and Taiwan are a little bit different. Cuba is if you get off the island, you get a chance to get a contract. Of course, there's every club now has an international slot of amount of money that you can spend. You can't go over that international slot. So it's it's very different way to do business. Yeah, it's it's a glo- all these are global games. The rules are different, and you know, as a sports fan, we're trying to keep up with it all. You got all the you got all the goods. I can't balance my checkbook, but I can tell you about posting fees and the rules and the rigs. <laughs> Your wife hey, must love that. Listen, hope you're enjoying our Monday podcast bonus coverage, if you will. Time for Dixie Line fans forum, and a reminder: you, you watch us on live stream. Get us in the chat box. Ask a question. We'll give you an answer. We'll try to get to as many as we can. If we don't get it this time, we'll get it on Thursday. And a reminder, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is written. You will really enjoy the depth of the information. Holy cow, we could be here till Tuesday at 1 a.m. when that soccer game kicks. We got so many of your friends want to join us. John, fire away. Yeah, so let's let's go right here to the Chargers. Joe Yarbrough says, the Chargers' new rookie wide receiver looks great. Well, I, Quentin Johnston caught a touchdown pass, uh, dropped the couple. You know, this is work in progress, but they knew what they were getting. He is big. He might be the heir apparent to Mike Williams. Somebody is going to leave at the end of this coming Chargers season because they got monster salary cap problems. But let's keep them on the field. It's interesting. Josh Palmer, who had a great season last year, got hurt last week, didn't play this game, was back on the field today. John Hightower, a 6'4 receiver that's kind of come out of nowhere, ex-Philadelphia Eagle developmental squad guy, he's kind of pushed his way into this. The guy's in the biggest jeopardy is Jalen Guyton, who was a speed guy who missed all the last year with a bad knee injury. I just don't know he's going to make this roster because these other guys may push their way on. But, you know, the, Quentin Johnston's got to grow into the position, and he's a great athlete, but just it takes time. I look at him, and I see a little bit of Mike Williams. I look at him, and I also see Vincent Jackson, who mm. had a nice run with the San Diego Chargers when we really cared about the Bolts. Yeah, back in the day. But, you know, I, Justin Herbert's just got to be so fired up oh. with all these weapons to throw to. It's incredible. But, you know, this this kid, Quentin Johnston, did you notice that he's wearing number one? Mm-hmm. And it just takes a lot of brass, you know, to put number one on. He's got but confidence. He, he's got confidence in himself. So just don't drop the bleeping ball. Don't drop the ball. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be tracking this guy. He should be an exciting receiver. Yeah. And again, guys get hurt. Guys get dinged up. That receiver core has a history of getting guys hurt, which means the younger guy then steps up. So this is this is a year-long academic process, I think, for the kid from TCU. Next question. Okay, here's a Padre comment. This is from Brian. He says, Preller is the problem. Change the culture. We get to the finish line. If there's no postseason game in October, accountability. And I don't want to hear from anybody about excellence I don't want to hear anything about commitment to signing. you got to get to the postseason. And if they don't make it, John, this will be the second time in, what, three years that they've tanked this thing and it's gone away from them. And, you know, the other the other piece of the equation, let's just say, so you don't have a heart attack, <laughs> that they make postseason as a wild, last wild card in. Mm-hmm. They're going to play the, maybe the Phillies. Mm. They're going to play the Cubs. Last wild card in, plays all three games on the road, best of three. Now, I said last week, if these dudes could get into postseason in a best of three, I'd take that pitching staff. 
I'd take the bats that we have and obviously the closer and a best of three. But the best of three are all going to be on the road in Philadelphia. The best of three could be at Wrigley Field, depending on what happens in this final five to six weeks of the season. But, yeah, I, I just get the sense there is enormous unrest in our community about not the owner, but about that general manager 10 years in and obviously what's happened in the dugout with that field boss, the manager. So something will change if they don't get in. Well, let's just say hypothetically they don't get in and Preller gets fired. So would Seidler like rebuild the whole thing? I mean, would he blow it up? Or I mean, he's still on the hook for all that money with all those players. You can't trade those guys, I don't think, unless you're going to trade Juan Soto and Scott Boros in one deal to get them out of here. And maybe you get a load of players back and somebody else runs them for one year and then has to deal with the super agent. Um, But, you know, Peter is he's a very loyal guy. And I mean, I was stunned when he gave Preller the contract extension. Why would you do that? Haven't done anything yet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they had the one in the the COVID season. They had that nice year, but that it was only 60 games. And you gave him a contract extension. It runs through, you see, the 27? I think it is 27. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that Peter's going to blow the general manager out. But I'll say this again. And people say, oh, you're just firing cheap shots. I'm not. If you blow Bob Melvin out, are you going to trust that general manager to hire the next manager after he made mistakes on the last three managers and didn't interview Dave Roberts and fired Bud Black? I mean, there's five issues right there about his past decision. You don't trust that GM to get it right this time? Or am I being unfair? Somebody on fans forum, tell me if I'm taking cheap shots or am I just speaking the truth? I mean, if they if they blow out Preller, imagine the season ticket sales. They'll probably take a dive. You're not going to have 40-whatever consecutive sellouts. And then suddenly the financial model, they lost the Valley money, the financial model starts to crumble. And then Seidler is the guy, I don't know, he, he may be in a tough pickle here if this doesn't work out. Well, it's his money, his loyalty, his method of operation— Let's just see by the time we get to the first weekend of October what the temperature and the pulse of this podcast is going to be based on where they are in the standings. Okay, on we go. Another question. Okay, so let's uh, let's go here to October. And he says, hey, Carr looked good. Derek Carr. Yeah, he did. And it's been a weird camp in New Orleans because they've you know, been really working hard to get their star wide receiver, Michael Thomas, back on the field to have the good guy opposite the young kid from San Diego, Chris Olave. And they don't have Alvin Kamara now because he's gone with a suspension for this off-field stomping incident two years ago and have had injuries. They brought in Kareem Hunt, the ex-Brown in chief, and I really thought they were going to sign him. They have not signed him. Indy brought him in. Indy didn't sign him. And Indy's got this mess with with Jonathan Taylor. Um, So they're, they're not a complete football team. They do have a good defense. Dennis Allen obviously is cut from the defensive cloth of Wade Phillips, amongst others. So Carr, you know, Carr will play well. It's it's going to be much like it was for Derek Carr and the Raiders. Does he have enough around him to help him? But, uh, you know, one preseason game with a veteran starting against a bunch of kids, I don't know that we can gauge a hell of a lot. But by the time we get the first week in September, we'll find out who's healthy, who's not in New Orleans. Yeah, I think I'm anxious to really find out how good Derek Carr really is, you know, because he was in a bad situation with Vegas. I'm hoping he has success in New Orleans. And it, it just seems like they remodeled that Superdome. Yep. I mean, it's a big difference. So, and I mean, if you're a fan in New Orleans, you're rooting for him. 
But we're going to find out, like you say, when September rolls around. I root for Carr. He's a good guy. He's got he's got seven kids. He's a stand-up guy. Seven. Oh, Philip Rivers is ten. <laughs> I know it's going to say it's close to him. So I, you know, my my gut feel is that uh, Carr will be successful. The question is, will they have enough around him? Because he's never had that with the Raiders because of just the mess of the defense and injuries and mistakes on on player personnel. Next question. Next question. This is from Manny. And he says, what's your take on Nathan Rourke, former BC Lions? Jacksonville can't put him on waivers. I would assume he's probably going to be on the developmental squad unless there's an injury. Um, Kid's a Canadian. I mean, he's really unique. Again, he went to my alma mater, Ohio U, and I'm a big Bobcat fan. Uh, and he was a Canadian and came here. It was a very different game. You know, they play Canadian high school rules in Canada. That's three downs, pal. That's a 110-yard mm. field. <laughs> uh, but he's a great athlete, throw and run. And he went to the BC Lions, and in one year, he just lit up the CFL. He took some heavy shots along the way. Uh, but kid's got no fear, and the kid has a real intellect. So I would assume he'll be the third quarterback and be on developmental and, you know, they, you have to, to – to get him on developmental, you have to put him through waivers. But, you know, if the agent says the kid is not going to leave Jayville, so don't even put a claim in on the kid. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you put a claim in on the kid, you got to put him on your active roster. So nobody – I don't think anybody's going to do that. So I think Nathan Rourke will be uh, with Jacksonville in some form or fashion this year. Now, with the new rule where you can actually carry the third quarterback live as part of your 53-plus-one roster – Maybe maybe he practices all the time, and he's the third QB if something ever happens to Trevor Lawrence. Well, isn't it great when you see these kids kind of come from, no offense, but not like a big-time <laughs> school, and uh, and played in the, in the CFL, and then they figure it out. You know, the light bulb goes on, and they just start, you know, winning. I mean, there's been so many athletes like that. I've got so many friends in Canada, media friends, and I don't understand why young quarterbacks who are always on the periphery don't go to the CFL. Now, I grant you it's a really hard game to learn, and it's got to be a different type of guy. You know, one of the ones that I thought was going to have success was our own Achilles Smith oh, yeah, in San yeah, Diego. Yeah, yeah. And he went up there, and he washed out, and he was terrible. And he came back without a job. He was a uh, Cincinnati Bengal draft Yeah, he was, yeah. Didn't work out. And yet other guys have gone up there uh, and have done really, really well. And you know, now, are you going to make $3 million a year in the CFL? No, because they got a much tighter budget situation. But if you can play up there for six bills, 600000 a year, oh, yeah. and then you get all endorsement stuff on the side because you're a star with the Toronto Argonauts, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with playing in Canada, living in Canada. Canada's a heck of a country. Um, but the guy's mindset, I mean, it is a really different game. And guys, I, like I thought Akili, because he was such a good athlete, moving the pocket, running and throwing on the run, on the wide field with three downs and 12 guys coming off the line of scrimmage, I thought he would have done well, but it, it just did not work out for him. Uh, there is a quarterback. His name is Zach Caleros. He was at the University of Cincinnati in the NFL, bounced around, just he wasn't. I guess he wasn't big enough to be an NFL quarterback. He went to Canada, and he's won a Grey Cup or two, cool. and he's making nice money up there. Yeah. And he, he's, he's in Winnipeg now. Used to be in Toronto or, or Hamilton Ticats. I kind of follow this stuff, so I don't understand why they don't come down here and snare more quarterbacks. Now, granted, if you're like Nathan Work and your third quarterback developmental, you're making a real chunk of money in the NFL. But do you ever get the chance to play? And mm-hmm. 
you know, like Josh Johnson, the USD quarterback, who's kind of been all over the road oh, in the yeah, NFL, yeah. 13 teams. I thought this guy is big and this guy can move the pocket. This guy should have gone to Canada. But, you know, maybe agents won't deliver him. Maybe they look at the money and say, nah, somebody says, Saskatchewan, I want to play in Saskatoon. No, it's an opportunity. And you never know what you find when you cross the border. You might get a chance to be a star. I mean, go ask Jeff Garcia. Remember him? 49er quarter. He played in Canada. Obviously, Warren Moon, Mm -hmm. Doug Flutie, Joe Mm -hmm. Theismann, way back in the day. Come. Spilling my Canadian heritage here. Okay, we move on. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, basketball players go play in Europe, and sure. they go in China and Australia, and it's not a big deal. The game is different. They find success. Some of them make bank. I remember, uh, what was it, Jamal uh, Franklin, who played for the Aztecs? He yep. was making over a million bucks a year in, in China. China. Yeah. So he's played there, I don't know, eight, nine years. Yeah, but I think he's now in Australia. Uh, so it's amazing how they all move around, but a lot of money uh, to be made. Yeah, it's opportunity, and I think that's all you want. And the question is, do you get better opportunity? playing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or better opportunity to be the third quarterback on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster. But the developmental squad rosters are loaded with guys who never got the chance to be on an active roster on game day Sunday. Yeah, well, I think for some of them, what they just experienced this weekend might be the pinnacle of their athletic career. You Move know. on. Move on. So uh, let's go here and let's get some social media comments. Lee, there has been a ton of conversation about the Pac-12, the Pac-4. So let's get some of this in. This is from 12s and, and this is on YouTube. It says, the Pac-4 is dead. Even if we, San Diego State and other Mountain West Conference schools join, the rest of the college athletics won't look at it as a Power 5 conference. It will almost be like what happened to the Western Athletic Conference. The WAC went through so many changes over the years and they stopped playing football altogether and they're coming back as an FBS conference. Well, I think the issue is if if you wind up with the top four from the Mountain West, you go to get SMU and Rice out of the Dallas TV market. And then so you have a 10-team Pac-10 conference. I grant you it's not what we used to have with the Bruins and the Trojans and the Ducks and the Huskies and all that. Um, but you'd still be, you'd kind of be bottom rung you know, power five, because I think the NCAA would have or the college football playoff system would have to keep them as a power five. Uh, whether or not they'd qualify anybody to get in the front door, I think is is really debatable. Um, I just I, I blame the presidents. I blame Klyovkov. Uh, I blame the lack of loyalty uh, for what's what's transpired. I just I still cannot get over what happened on Black Friday two weeks ago. And I don't think there's any true solution that elevates this group out here on the West Coast to what it used to be. And there's it, dominoes are going to impact what the Mountain West used to be. And Mountain West will wind up looking like the whack, and that nobody wants that. No. Um, I feel really bad for Air Force because I just fear that they're going to get screwed in this whole thing. And that's that's such a great program with great athletes who stand for something really different. I just wish that they didn't get shoved into this this whole quagmire where they're going to sink in the quicksand because they, they, they can't fund nor be in a a, a Pac-10, mm-hmm. and they're left in the Mountain West, and now my Army and Navy are kind of in the same same boat too. So well, you know, well, speaking of Air Force, I mean, let's. There's a comment here about all the military schools, and see, this gentleman said Pac-4 should add SMU, Rice, Tulane, Army, Navy, UConn, USF, and Air Force for 2024. The Mountain West Conference will not be able to hold a military school to a grant of rights. Then in 2025, at San Diego State, Colorado State, it will be a very strong 
strong academic conference and have some big markets, the military plus San Diego, the Bay Area, 35% of Seattle, 40% of Denver, a small part of Houston, and a good part of Dallas and Orleans, plus part of Tampa and Connecticut. Well, but that's spread out. <laughs> that's that's patchwork quilt. I that's excuse me, that's far fetched. I don't think anybody would view that in any type of favorable light. Understand the concept just it doesn't work. In what comparison would you compare that conference that you just built for us on our podcast? <laughs> How would you compare that to the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, or the Big Twelve? Not Nah, doesn't work. Doesn't work for me. It, it's interesting to me that the military schools aren't all in a similar conference, kind of like an Ivy League sort of thing. But it was it's neat to have Air Force in the Mountain West. Sure. But, but yeah, they're going to be left on a street corner if this thing plays out way, the way yeah. everyone thinks it will. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, Army's out there. Naval Academy is out there. Air Force, be, I mean, they play each other in the Commander's Cup playoffs, but I don't know where they go. And that's that to me is a big issue because it's sad because they really, I mean, I've been at West Point and I've obviously been in Colorado Springs at the Academy and been in Annapolis. Those are unique places just to be on campus or to be at a game or broadcast a game because mm-hmm. what those people stand for. And so I, we got a ways to go before this shakes out with the entire 23 season, 24 calendar year to figure out where the rest of the dominoes are going to fall. A couple more here. (laughs) Yeah, everyone is playing fantasy sports. They they think they can build a conference. Um, Let's talk Padres here. And this is from Travis. He says, it's funny how two of the big three, Machado and Soto, spoke after the meeting, you know, the closed door meeting. But Tatis was silent. Tatis seems to be the common denominator. He's a cancer and needs to go. (laughs) How can an athlete that young be fatigued? He has even played the entire season. Oh, Travis... Travis, you're awful harsh. Uh, a, I don't think he's a great interview. B, I'm tired of listening to Manny look at my baseball cards. C, Soto is reeling back what he said about guys giving up. So, yeah, there's not a lot of spokesmen in that clubhouse, and I don't know if that's a team chemistry thing. I mean, since Musgrove got hurt, the, the clubhouse has kind of gone silent. Uh, it's just It's just a real... It's a chemistry problem. It's probably a leadership problem. I think it's a front office interference problem. It all falls to the front door of A.J. Preller, and he's going to have to answer it sometime unless he's just going to continue to refuse to talk to the media, which is sad because I like A.J., and I've had a really good relationship with A.J. But at the end of the day, the word of the day, according to Sesame Street, is accountability. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, But if there is a chemistry problem, then there's a leadership problem. And so, yeah, it goes to Melvin. It goes to A.J., you know, and maybe that meddling that we all suspect is really happening and that's what's causing it. But, but you look at Tatis, he doesn't seem like the same kid, you know, before the suspension and the injuries. He looks like he's just kind of down a bit. But he's he shows, down a bit, but he's working hard at it. I mean, he continues to make plays. He continues to drive the ball on the button. Mm-hmm. He's not hitting right now like he was before, but everybody's been going through these, these ups and these down periods uh, at, at home plate. Next question. Okay, let's get some NBA comments here. Uh, This is from Jeff talking about the Lakers. Anthony, quote, street clothes Davis. (laughs) If you divide that annual salary by the number of games played in a given year, it's even more outrageous. Lakers front office should be fired. Somebody else emailed me and said... He needs that contract so he can buy more street clothes when he sits on the (laughs) sidelines. Uh, Great player, great injury history. That's a problem. 
Uh, but, you know, they got the money to spend. The players have earned the right to have max contracts. So, therefore, they get taken care of. Uh, it's the last kick at the can. It's the last gasp because he's got injury history. LeBron's got a 200,000 miles on that, that body, and he's had injury problems in the last couple of years. And granted, they had a good offseason by locking down a couple of the young guys have earned whatever pay bumps they got. Got to stay on the court. If they stay on the court, they'll be really good. If they get nicked because they're aged, then they won't be very good, and they'll be stuck with the contracts till it's time to these contracts to expire. Well, there were parts of the last season where AD was almost looking like he was asleep on the court. He he was he healthy then, or what was going on? He was playing hurt for a while, and then he was out for chunks of time. You mm-hmm. know, went back and I did research, and Anthony Davis has missed twenty three percent. Of all of his games in his career, oh New God. Orleans and L.A., phenomenal amount. Yeah. And I think the number I had a couple of weeks ago we talked about, Anthony Davis missed 124 games in four years with the Lakers. That's a lot of missed things. Now, significant injuries, shoulder, back, calf. A calf injury took forever to come mm-hmm. back, you know, but you, you got to rehab because you don't want to tear it, you know, foot and ankle. So it just... It's one of the risks playing the games. Guys, guys do get dinged. Well, when he was healthy in the playoffs, he looked really good. He was possessed. I mean, he was just so dominant. So I'm sure that's what got him the deal. Okay, let's take one more here before we close out our bonus coverage on a Monday. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Phil Mickelson. Um, and this uh, anonymous person said, athletes, politicians, and celebrities should not be looked at as role models. Look to your parents and people who work hard and behave with dignity and respect. Well, I buy a chunk of that. Uh, our heroes come with with baggage. Our heroes are people we enjoy watching as professionals, but you never 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 know behind the scenes, behind the curtain, what's going on with people. It's sad, sad commentary. Um, a little bit, I guess. And I like Phil. I've had a good relationship with Phil. I just kind of feel betrayed. Uh, it was like when Tiger went off the deep end with all the women in his life and the mistresses and the calendar girls and the pancake house waitress and all that. I thought to myself, boy, he sold us a bill of goods, and everybody in America bought the bill of goods because he was such a great golfer. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask the question, and you people next week can fire back if you'd like to. You know, are you offended at what Tiger Woods sold himself to be, Mr. Corporate America, Mr. Mm -hmm. Good Guy? And then you find out he was a horrific womanizer, and you find out he was a terrible cheat, and you find out he was a drug abuser because of all the injuries— and yet he wanted you to buy my car, buy my gear, wear my clothes. Anybody out there offended by that? I'm, I was kind of taken back of it. Does not separate the fact that, God, he gave us a decade plus of just the most exceptional golf anybody could see when there's so many more great golfers now than there were when Arnie Palmer and Jack Nicholas were marching up and down the fairways with the Golden Bear and Arnie's army. Is anybody out there offended by what Tiger did? Anybody offended what all the dirt we've now found out? Phil Mickelson has not denied the depth of the stories that are in that book that's about to be released. Are you offended? Do you, do you view them differently? I'll, I'll just kind of leave that for everybody that's with us on our live stream to respond to for next week. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm offended by it, but I, I, I go back to Charles Barkley. Remember when he said, oh, yeah. I'm not a role model and people were aghast. 
But he was right. You know, we shouldn't be looking to these athletes as role models. They're just entertainers, you know, and they're really good at their craft and we enjoy watching them. But, you know, you got to use your brain to pick your role models based on, like this gentleman here said, their character and the actions that they take as a human being. But it just goes back to you see so many of these athletes kind of going off the rails in their personal life just goes to show you. There's a lot of crap going on in the world and people are struggling with situations. They end up with addictions, whether it's drugs or alcohol or gambling. And here we go. I won't say anything about the fact that you bought a Buick because of Tiger Woods and you bought his golf clubs that are in the closet there. I saw them. So that's not my father's Oldsmobile. (laughs) Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. There's always a lot of topics on the table. It's brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, enjoy it. Nine Dixie Line Centers to serve you in San Diego. We will be back here on Thursday. Check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, have yourself a great sports week. Get your pad and pencil out because there'll be a lot more topics on the table to talk about. Yeah, them. and more NFL games coming. It's going to be good. Hey, thanks for being with us on our Monday bonus podcast on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Hacksaw, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.